1: Good morning, it's 8.30 on Wednesday, February 28th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show... The Mississippi House is considering a bill to provide the working poor with Medicaid coverage. Then oysters have a new and have a few different benefits for the ecosystem. They help protect coasts from erosion, flooding, filter water, and provide a home to other animals. You'll learn more about that. Plus, the recent Alabama Supreme Court ruling on in vitro fertilization is having ripple effects for much of the Gulf South. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The Mississippi House Medicaid Committee has advanced a bill that could expand coverage opportunities for the working poor. House Bill 1725 wouldn't offer full Medicaid expansion under the Affordable Care Act if approved, but it does increase the number of people who qualify for the program. And while this measure has vocal support in both chambers, it would still need federal approval to take effect because of a a 20-hour-a-week work requirement. Republican Representative Missy McGee of Hattiesburg is co-author of the bill and chairs the House Medicaid Committee.
2: At least 75 to 80 percent of this population is working so we certainly don't want to not help them just because we might be helping another population who may not be working or may not be able to work at the time so um, we'll, we'll see what happens on that.
1: If the measure is passed by the legislature and subsequently signed into law, the federal government could decline the deal. McGee says it would trigger Section 2 of the measure for alternate form of Medicaid expansion.
2: Section 2 of the bill um, provides a state plan amendment. It has co-pays in it. It requires MCOs to engage um, this population in workforce training and um, financial literacy, all sorts of things like that. Um, So, you know, it is is not, Section 2 is not a traditional expansion um, bill.
1: If the measure is passed by the legislature and subsequently signed into law, the federal government could decline the deal, as I mentioned. But if the original plan is approved, McGee says it could increase Medicaid rolls by... About 200,000 people between the ages of 19 and 64. That includes folks who make up to 138% of the federal poverty level or just over $20,000 for an individual. Participants will have to pay into the system at a smaller rate than they would if they went to a private insurer.
2: Section 2 provides a, um, you know, sort of a, Uh, opportunity for us to still get this across the finish line if for some reason CMS um, does not let's say for example if CMS does not um, approve the work requirement then I don't I think that we still want to help working Mississippians find a way to um, have health insurance and so um, I would hope that if um, You know, I would really hope that we would leave Section Mm -hmm. 2 in the bill as a backstop in case we cannot get the waiver done. We still have an opportunity to provide the program and not delay another year. Um, in, in making this happen. Do
3: you think that, that Section 2 at all takes the onus off of CMS from approving it? Because uh, Speaker White has said before that he, you know Mississippi being as super stubborn as it is that he hoped that that would be a motivator. But if it's just going to, the program's just going to be expanded regardless. You
2: no, know. I don't. I, no. So I think those are two very separate parts to CMS. Um, so there's the 1115 waiver will be taken to Washington and negotiated by the Division of Medicaid. And I think that they will look at that on its own. I don't, I don't believe that um, Section 2 would be a deterrent to them approving the 1115 waiver.
1: That's our Will Stribling speaking with Republican Representative Missy McGee of Hattiesburg. House Democrats have long supported Medicaid expansion as a way to help low-income Mississippians live healthier lives and improve revenue for the state's hospitals. House Minority Leader Democrat Robert Johnson speaks with our Will Stribling about the House bill. Leaving committees and how it will help in the long run.
0: Uh, excited, and I am just I keep pinching myself that it that it is going as smoothly as it has, and it's not a bad bill. It's a, it's a bill that probably needs a little work, but it's a bill that 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 is quite more ambitious than I thought I'd ever see come out of a Republican led House of Representatives.
3: Yeah, during the meeting, you brought up that the sweetener that we're getting. You know, isn't really needed. But, uh, charges right. that that they're they're laying on on healthcare providers. Right. What would you like to see done with that with that federal money? That we're well, I, I think
0: I, I, what I'd like to see done over the next four years is it, it, it cover a few more people. I mean, uh, Representative Evans brought up a good point. So, family afford 41000 dollars gets covered. But if you make if you make forty-one thousand five hundred, then you don't. And we know that's not that big a difference. So we need to figure out a way to subsidize people's health insurance, and we got extra money. That's what we ought to use it for. Whether it's through a grant program or a subsidized program, you got to be able to do it. Yeah, and there's, has uh, the House plan, uh, that, well, the Dems plan, as far as in, including you know, subsidizing plans for, for people to make up to 200 percent? Yes. Yeah. Has there been any interest from Republicans on, been that, on that? Not much. Do? Not much. But I've had discussions. It hasn't been totally dismissed. Uh, and I understand that there are some senators who kind of like it. The idea, because it brings in private insurance, it employs, you know, the use of our private insurance companies, and it covers more working people, and which means that more providers will be uh, used, and so all of that is good. Being brought up as the 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 elephant in the room, as far as this, do you think that when this comes up in the house, it's going to pass in the veto-proof majority? Yes, I do. I think I think that particular issue has been fully vetted and covered and I think from everything I hear that we have a vote to pass it and the votes will make it visible.
3: are you okay with the, the provision in there to automatically repeal it in 2029 if it's not you know re-up?
0: we do, you know we do that kind of thing all the time but I have a lot of confidence in this plan I got a lot of confidence in the idea of medicaid expansion and what it'll do for healthcare in this state and you can't be 100% sure about anything but I'm sure about that being something that's going to be a big boon, a big positive impact on the state, and that, that we'll, we'll feel perfectly fine extending that repeal when it comes back. House Bill
1: 1725 could come up for a full vote today. Coming up, oysters have a few different benefits to the ecosystem. They help protect coasts from erosion, flooding, filter water, and provide a home to other animals. You'll hear more about that ahead. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
3: For this moment in black history, we focus the spotlight on musician Hank Jones. Born in Vicksburg, Mississippi, Hank Jones, the Dean of Jazz Pianists, worked behind the Ivory Keys alongside the vocal icon Ella Fitzgerald, as well as famously accompanying Marilyn Monroe as she sang Happy Birthday, Mr. President to John F. Kennedy in Madison Square Garden. With 60 albums to his name, Jones was awarded a Lifetime Achievement Grammy a year before his 2010 death at the age of 91. This was an MPB moment in black history.
4: What can you do with the MPB radio app? Listen live, hear local news, view the schedule, make a contribution, listen to shows on demand, and interact with social media. Get the app for your smartphone now. MPB Think Radio. Whatever your taste. News, music, storytelling, or how-to shows. Whatever your city. Natchez, Jackson, Tupelo, Cleveland. However you want. Radio, smart speaker, smartphone app. MPB Think Radio. MPB Think Radio airs local programs every weekday morning at 9. It's your chance to learn about southern cooking, home improvement projects, and more. MPB Think Radio, Mississippi is our mission.
1: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Oysters are sly helpers in the fight to protect coasts from erosion and flooding caused by climate change. But oyster reefs on Alabama's coast, like many others in the Gulf South, have taken a beating. The Gulf States Newsroom's Danny MacArthur takes us to the Gulf Shores to explore some of the effects to help oysters rebuild the coastline. It's lunchtime, and the original oyster house in Gulf Shores, Alabama,
5: is full of folks who've come to eat. Yeah. Up shell, oh, suck it you want there. it this way. Okay. <laughs> and
2: slurp the what oyster
5: That woman giving the instructions is Cecilia Mace, the restaurant's marketing director. Once this table is done with these oysters, the shells are going to find a second life, back in the ocean, helping to rebuild a reef. It's all thanks to something called the Oyster Recycling Program started several years ago by the Alabama Coastal Foundation. May says the original Oyster House was one of the first restaurants to pilot the program. Most restaurants are putting them in their dumpster and they're putting them in a landfill. And these oyster shells are like gold. Oysters play a few important roles in their ecosystem. They filter the water and give a home to fish, crabs, and other animals. The oyster reefs also help with erosion because they provide a natural protection to the shoreline. The recycling process is simple, but it takes a while.
3: See a little, I mean, there's a chunk of oyster right there.
5: PJ Waters is walking through a field where there are piles of shells everywhere. They have to cure before they can go back into the water. That means a lot of these shells are still covered in gunk. And they've been sitting out in the sun for months.
3: You can't adequately capture the smell on audio. You need to get smell-o-vision. I'll tell folks, I said it smells like, uh, it smells like progress.
5: Waters is on the advisory committee for the Oyster shell Recycling Program. He also coordinates another program designed to help oyster populations in the Gulf South, oyster gardening. He says it will take about six months to a year for these shells to cure. Then some of them will be taken to a hatchery where baby oysters can attach to them and grow. Then those shells will go to an oyster garden, like this one in Little Lagoon along the Gulf okay. Shores Coast.
4: Yeah, Make sure they're evenly...
5: Dennis Hatfield is the president of the Little Lagoon Preservation Society.
4: We're doing our final population estimates.
5: Hatfield says once the shells come to them...
4: We put them into cages out here. We grow them and maintain them during the season. And then at the end of the season, late October, early November, they get harvested and taken to Mobile Bay to, to be put on closed public reefs.
5: Right now, they're growing oysters from Mississippi. Today, a group of students from Gulf Shores High School is helping out in the garden.
3: On this one, I got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven.
5: Eight, oysters five, tend to grow in clusters. Right now, students are counting how many individual oysters there are in the different clusters. 15,
1: 15, 15, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. About 20 on this cluster.
5: The idea is to encourage a younger generation to get excited about doing something good for the environment. And it sounds like it's working.
0: I enjoy I think it's a great,
3: like, part just for the ecosystem and just what we're doing. Because it's <laughs> recovery and whatnot. <laughs>
4: we love it. We love
5: it. Eventually, those oysters will make it back into the ecosystem, helping to rebuild the oyster reef along the Gulf Coast, one project at a time. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Danny McArthur.
1: The Gulf States Newsroom is a partnership among Mississippi Public Broadcasting and public radio stations in Alabama and Louisiana. Coming up, the recent Alabama Supreme Court ruling about in vitro fertilization could have ripple effects for much of the Gulf South. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
3: For MPB's Moments in Black History, we highlight Denise LaSalle. After finding her voice in the church of her childhood home of Belzona, she switched to R&B music and in 1971 created a number one hit trapped by a thing called love. But it was not until she signed with Jackson-based Malico Records that she became known as the Queen of the Blues. In 2015, Denise LaSalle was even inducted into the R&B Music Hall of Fame. This has been MPB's Moments in Black History.
4: Humor, stories, news, music. Our weekend lineup has it all. Tune in to enjoy the relaxed sound of the weekends on MPB Think Radio.
5: Classical, jazz, indie, blues, folk, bluegrass, whatever you call your music. Find it on MPB Music Radio on mpbonline.org or the MPB Public Media app or on an HD radio.
1: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The Alabama Supreme Court has ruled embryos used in in vitro fertilization, often shortened to IVF, are protected under the state's definition of life beginning at conception. The complaint before the court stemmed from an incident where several vials of IVF cells were dropped and destroyed, when someone wrongfully gained access to them in the clinic's lab. While now most IVF providers in Alabama have halted their services, concerned about the practice opening them up to liability that didn't exist before. The ruling has sparked national and regional concern from both Democrats who support reproductive rights and Republicans who want to help people start families. Our Kobe Vance speaks with Steven Stetson, he's director of Planned Parenthood Alabama, and they talk about how states like Mississippi may need to respond to this ruling.
3: Well, I often hear words like absolute chaos used. And in this case, that's not hyperbole. That's really what's going on. I'm sure that folks have seen that the major IVF providers have stopped providing those services for everyone that was in the process of doing in vitro fertilization. That means just grinding their treatment to a halt. And there's not a lot of time to spare when you're undergoing that kind of medical process. So people that were expecting to receive shots and have their embryos frozen all of those people are just frozen in limbo at the moment and the people that are in charge of shipping embryos in between facilities and crossing state lines those people have also put a halt to that process so I have a friend who is a um, former Alabama resident who went through the IVF process here in Birmingham, but has since moved out of state and wanted to retrieve her embryos and have them brought to the state where she currently resides. She can't even get her embryos out of storage because of the fears of liability that these IVF providers are experiencing. So they've all been advised by their lawyers, put a halt to everything. They're afraid of both civil and criminal liability for the newly defined crime of um, having these legislatively defined, children uh, in a freezer.
4: What do you think this means for the next direction of where, I guess, laws and court rulings are going to be going around reproductive rights? Uh, I know y'all have been long advocating for the right for someone to be able to receive, receive an abortion or seek out an abortion, uh, but y'all are also have been longstanding uh, supporters of things like IVF.
3: That's right. I mean, we would frame this entire thing. As about bodily autonomy that this is a between you and your doctor this is the government interfering in that process and telling people what they can and can't do with their bodies and so whether we're talking about the right to have a pregnancy or to end a pregnancy or use birth control or to freeze your eggs all of that really should be up to you to decide how and when you want to do those things and so um, what's, to answer your question about the legal side of things, what is going to happen in the immediate near term legally is the legislature is going crazy this week. We just had three different bills drop within the last hour by lawmakers who are attempting to carve out liability exemptions for these IVF facilities. But, you know, we're quite confident that that's not going to solve the problem. As you mentioned, this is really about an entire paradigm related to when you believe uh personhood begins and if somebody believes and as the supreme court has said that fertilization happens and the personhood attaches immediately whether it's in a uterus or in a freezer somewhere then just carving out a liability shield for an ivf facility is not going to solve the problem so um, what we've got is a real pickle on our hands and um, a legislative solution is going to be very difficult to come by and each day that the session goes by it makes it harder and harder
4: Because this was decided in y'all's state court, this opens up interesting avenue of discussion about who's leading the charge at this point in terms of making these laws and regulating what is deemed life, what is not. What are your thoughts on how other states are going to be reacting? Do you think that we'll begin to see more states start to file these kind of bills about defining who is responsible? Uh, for a fetus if or an embryo in this case?
3: Yeah, I mean, let's be clear. Uh, we've seen conservative voices ranging from President Trump to our Senator Tuberville call for the restoration of the practice of IVF. I mean, from a conservative standpoint, these are people that are looking to grow their families, and they say that IVF should be immune from these personhood claims. However, Uh, It's not going to be so simple. You don't just get to uh, carve out an exemption because it's politically unpopular. And we have to remember, as you said, there are going to be people celebrating this decision in lots of other states. And the concern ought to be, no matter where you live, that if there is a strong uh, movement that sees this kind of Supreme Court case as desirable, they're going to be pushing for similar kind of personhood laws in those states. And I I would be remiss if I didn't point out that that doesn't mean the battle is over here either, because the Supreme Court in Alabama has invited, essentially, the legislature to challenge um, that the Supreme Court would strike down any law that created a carve-out, because apparently they believe, and Justice Parker wrote this in his uh, opinion, that our previously passed constitutional amendment, that's sort of our personhood amendment, circumscribes the legislature's discretion, to determine public policy with regard to unborn life. So even if the legislature comes back and tries to fix it, the Supreme Court could just strike down that fix um, as unconstitutional. So I think it's really important that no matter where you live, you realize this could be a threat to your autonomy and your ability to plan your own family.
4: What do you think... Other states are going to be looking at this and thinking about, uh, whether it be conservatives who have been pushing for pro-life but also pro-family measures, ways making trying to make it easier for people to start families and grow their families, but also the Democrats who have been pushing for increased rep- reproductive rights and trying to protect – or even restore abortion rights?
3: Well, I saw somewhere that Florida politicians were using the Alabama Supreme Court decision as a momentum and sort of a rationalization for pushing a broader redefinition of personhood so that Florida could be like Alabama. But I also saw this morning that that initiative has stalled. I think when people start hearing from IVF participants and patients, they start to realize this is not politically popular. And so I think what might seem good and a rah-rah kind of feeling of political enthusiasm is going to run into the buzzsaw of political reality, which is that voters don't support this stuff. And so even in Alabama, the polling numbers show that people like the law back how it was under Roe v. Wade, that Dobbs was also a surprise and that people are realizing that their options are becoming more limited. But it's really hard to say. I think this buck may end up stopping in Alabama at a repeal of the personhood amendment altogether, because that's really the only way to get around this. There's no little loophole that can be created that says that Personhood begins as soon as a sperm and an egg are a fertilized entity, and that extends all the way into a clump of cells in a freezer somewhere, but we're going to let people keep doing IVF. Those two things are just incompatible, so we're really going to have to reckon with it.
4: It seems like such a inevitability almost to the policy that's been pushed by conservatives in recent years, especially evangelical Christian conservatives who see life as beginning at conception. Do you you think that there's going to be some difficult discussions for people to try to, uh, to reckon with the bed that has been made?
3: Yeah, these are always difficult discussions. These are fundamental to the definition of who we are as human beings. And I saw somebody in a response to the Alabama Supreme Court decision say that they thought that the court's decision was a glitch. And I'm not sure that it's a glitch. I think it may be an extension of the logical conclusion of a flawed anti-scientific paradigm. And so in that regard, people are going to have to own the consequences of the belief system that they've chosen to adopt. And that may mean a world in which not just IVF, but even birth control would be considered uh, an offense to humanity. And if that's the world that people want to live in, well, we're headed that way. And so the question is really going to be whether the political environment will push back or whether we will just extend this to the logical conclusions and we just live with what we have wrought.
4: Politics aside, What's on, what are you hearing on the ground? How are people feeling in Alabama, people who have been trying to go through IVF and are now in a dead standstill?
3: Yeah, it's really an emotional subject, and 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 I think I'm as a male, it is difficult for me to even put myself in those shoes. I've never been in that position, and you have to understand not just the physical sacrifices with painful injections, the sacrifices of time, but the money that goes into investing in the IVF process. It is not cheap to do. You don't just do this on a whim and have some sort of impulse buys where you decide I'm going to go do some IVF and call it a fun night. These are serious investments by people who have struggled with you know, their ability to conceive a life. A lot of times they've been through multiple miscarriages. We're talking about a disproportionate effect on our LGBTQ friends who uh, may not be able to conceive. We're talking about older people and people who've gone through cancer treatment, treatments and have lost their fertility due to other medical complications. They want to freeze their embryos before they lose this ability for the rest of their lives. So these are really deep-seated, emotional kitchen table, bedtime conversations. They cut to the core of our experience as human beings. And um, people don't take that lightly. When the government intervenes and says, I'm going to take that away from you, uh, you may be seeing uh, real seeds of discord being sown.
1: Stephen Stetson is director of Planned Parenthood Alabama. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.